The Star Jelly Files, Episode 6, Amber Ships in the Phoenix Lights. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Star Jelly Files. This week, we will be picking up where we left off with a letter from Bert about the meeting after the meeting, and about Earth's first planned sighting of some visitors. To be clear, Earth has had lots of accidental visitors over the years, has had beings sneak in to see what the world is like, and planned visitors before the doors were closed. But Bert's account will discuss the first beacon-planned sighting of UFO activity over Earth after the anchor was removed and her experience of the event as the beacon stationed there. But first, there are a few things that happened after the meeting that she thinks we should talk about. As usual, Bert's letter was hand-delivered to me. For those who are curious, like all of her recent letters, it was written on linen paper and was held shut with a piece of purple string wrapped around the letter. The piece of string was tied in place with a blue button. Letter from Bert about the meeting after the meeting in the amber ships that visited Earth. Astra. The purpose of this letter is twofold. As requested, the first portion of my letter recounts the discussion we had after the first council meeting and the actions we decided to take as a result. The second half of my letter is something I think you will enjoy. It is a summary of how the planned sighting on Earth went. I know you wanted to be there and couldn't be, so I have included some details for your review. This should hold you over until Walter can show you his recap. Well, as you know, as it is with most things in life, there was a meeting after the meeting. Once dinner was cleared, we all stepped outside and began making our way to various destinations. I watched as some took their separate paths through the woods and towards the soft yellow lights that glowed from the cabins hidden amongst the trees. Some made their way towards the quiet of the lake and the paths that encircled it. Others made their way towards town, likely looking for a way to relax and unwind. I decided to head towards your house a little early. I figured since we were planning to meet anyway, I would rather spend my time waiting there than answering questions from the others. I took the path that led towards the lake and began making my way through the forest. I took on my human form so that I could fully enjoy the fall evening that was encompassing our home. Cool ocean air rushed across my cheeks and crinkled blue and orange leaves snagged in my shoelaces as I made my way forward. I went out of my way to step on the crunchiest leaves and enjoyed the sound they sent out through the otherwise quiet night. It didn't take long before I heard someone walk up behind me, not rushing, but seemingly trying to catch up to me. Just as I was deciding I should turn around and address whomever was behind me, Link called out to me, sarcastically asking if I always had to make noise when I walked somewhere. A small bit of joy lingered in his question. He knew I liked making noise, at least when it came to walking in the leaves. So I assumed our conversation would not be an unpleasant one. I responded to him with just as much sarcasm, accusing him of liking to step on crunchy leaves just as much as I did. I wanted to keep the mood light, especially considering he was probably also heading to your house, and there was no reason to start fighting with each other early. I turned around to face Link and found he was not the only one following me. Link and Hum had followed me down the path in their non-physical forms, although Link was still wearing his welding goggles. I assumed my guess was right, that they were also on their way to meet you, Astra. It made me feel more secure that they would be there, made me feel like our plan might actually work, but it also made me a little weary of how much I didn't know about your overall plan. I don't like being out of the loop, even when you had a very good reason for keeping me there. We walked the rest of the way in silence, each taking in the quiet night and the peace it brought us. The waves of the ocean echoed around us as we drew closer to your house. I could see a few figures making their way around the shore and away from us, 
and glanced over my shoulder to see if Hum and Link had noticed too. If they did, they didn't seem to care who it was. We walked for a while longer, until the cabins on the shore were out of view, and we were surrounded by trees and darkness. Since your home sits at the edge of our world, if anyone is there, it is because they want to be. It is not a place we wander or spend time unless invited or stopping by to visit. So when I reached your front yard, and Fall and Vi appeared from the trees to my right, I knew they would also be attending this meeting after the meeting. I admit, you invited more of us than I thought, and that caused me to pause in front of them. Neither of them said anything as we moved forward and made our way to your front door, so I just kept walking with Lincoln Hum in tow. For your listeners, Astra, I would like to describe your home if you would allow me to include this in your broadcast. I think it will paint a small picture of you in the environment you keep. When looking at our home world, it is important to say I think that we all see what we want to see. The trees, the ocean, and the world around us builds itself to match what we view as home. Our realm adapts itself to be of comfort to us, so no one really knows what anyone else is experiencing unless we choose to share with the group, or choose to broadcast a piece of home to everyone, like the tall trees that Walter recently planted for everyone to see. I sometimes wonder what everyone else sees as they walk around and travel from place to place, but it is rude to ask. So what each of us sees of Astra's house is a mix of what we perceive as comforting about her and what she chooses to broadcast to us about herself. This is my interpretation of her home. Astra's house, like each of our own, was designed around the things she liked best at the time. Her front yard was made up of tall yellow grass that tickled my wrists and elbows as I walked down the dirt path towards her front door. The grass stretched out for what felt like miles until it reached the horizon, making it seem like her home was never-ending. A star-strewn sky, alight with stars of gold and blue, spread out above our heads and the occasional comet could be seen shooting across the sky. The sound of waves came from all directions and danced across my ears. If I chose to venture to her backyard, I would find a quiet beach and a dock floating in the middle of her private lake. Her house appeared to be simple, a simple log cabin from the outside, and the warmth of her home called to me from across the front yard. The others were traveling in their non-physical forms, so they did not get to enjoy the physical elements of Astra's home as readily, which was a shame. She put so much care into her home that she meant for us to experience it. I chose to mention this out loud to the parade that was now following me, and Hum responded with a laugh, and mentioned that just because he was not choosing to indulge his senses did not mean he didn't appreciate the world building. Hum glided past me and made his way up the front steps. The door opened in front of him and he made his way inside. The others pushed past me and followed suit. They all seemed in a rush to get everything moving. But I lingered outside for a while longer. I wasn't in a huge rush to leave again to go back to Earth. And as soon as we made our plans, I would have to. I stared at the soft light that spilled out the front door and onto the porch, trying to think of a way I could maybe stall a little longer, but didn't come up with anything. I shrugged off my regrets and stepped into Astra's home. The inside of her home was just as inviting and warm as the outside. Except for the small bedroom and kitchen that sat to the right of the front door, the rest of her home was a giant library. The front door spilled any visitor into a room that looked as if it was made of books. As I made my way into the house, I noticed that the others had settled into the soft brown chairs that circled the very tall green stone fireplace. And Link was already absorbed in a large leather-bound book he had grabbed from a nearby shelf. I made my way towards the group and allowed my gaze to travel along the ceiling-high shelves that engulfed me as I made my way forward. Her book collection had grown some since I had last seen it, and there were a few more oddities strewn across the shelves as well. It wasn't long after I began wandering the bookshelves that you walked in, Astra, 
and asked us to all take a seat so we could get started. You were carrying a tray of mugs that smelled like hot chocolate, a favorite recipe I had shared with the beacons from Earth, so they could all try it. It is a similar drink from other worlds, too. Though on some worlds it is more sour, more difficult to make, or sweeter, it is always a favor to serve when we have guests. Astra, you have always loved to share your favorite foods, and it was no surprise to me that you had already prepared snacks for us even though we had already eaten. I took a seat on the edge of the group, close to the fire, and waited for the discussion to start. You took your time passing the mugs around to the rest of the group before you took a seat, and told us it was time to fill everyone in the room in on the rest of the story about Clara. You always look so at ease, even when everything seems to be falling to pieces. Another reason everyone trusts you, and you could see the trust in everyone's faces as they listened to you talk. You began to tell your story, how Link and Hum were both aware that Clara was on Earth with me, and that before she even made it to Earth, they were actively following her when she escaped her prison before we knew why or how. Clara eventually figured out that they were following her, and never stayed anywhere long. She planet-hopped, and Link and Hum thought that she was likely trying to find a new world to settle on, where she could take some level of power, and where she could maybe open a new door for her old allies. Fall interrupted your story, Astra, and paced the room, wondering aloud why no one had told him why he wasn't allowed to help when he had lost so much. In fact, he was also wondering why you didn't just send the whole council after her. Why not use the entirety of our skills to capture her quickly and bring her back? There was anger still lingering in his eyes, no longer aimed at me, but I think aimed at the fact that he didn't get to participate in the initial hunt. They were good questions, and Vi was nodding along to his words in agreement. You interrupted him, preventing his rant, and continued your story. You did not call everyone in, and Lincoln Hum continued to follow her on their own, because they had discovered something. Clara wasn't working alone when she destroyed Fall's planet, and as it turns out, it wasn't even her idea. They had discovered that she was not working and traveling alone then, either, but with another beacon. They needed to know who before they approached the group. They especially did not want to tell Fall right away, until they knew the whole story, or as much of it as could be known. Fall was still too angry when Clara escaped, and his hunt of her would not have been an investigation. You paused your story, then looked at Fall and Vi, waiting for a reaction. You got one. Fall was furious with you with all of us, I think, for freezing him out. But I also think he understood, despite himself. He would not have bothered to find out who else was involved during those years. He would have just stopped her. After Fall had a few minutes to ask questions and share his displeasure, you continued to talk to us about how it was now time to prepare our next steps. How Fall, Hum, Link, Vi, and Walter would be joining me on Earth to help capture the beacon that was working with Clara. How I had Clara locked away on Earth so we could question her. You kept things brief and told the group to leave and prepare for travel. I was frankly a little surprised by your statements. You lied about me having Clara trapped on Earth, lied about how we were actually working with her now, and hadn't bothered to tell the room who the beacon helping her was. Also, how could you send them to my house? I don't need them to come help. I waited for everyone to leave the room so I could confront you. All you said was that you didn't think it was a good idea that Fall realized that Clara was actually in my cabin right then and that he would need to talk to her in person to really understand what was going on. You also mentioned that you did not call out the other beacon because that would just cause outright chaos. Better to address that concern on Earth, where plans could be made and actions taken. 
We had just found out who the other beacon was a few weeks earlier, so it was better to observe and see how things played out for a few days to make sure Clara wasn't actually in contact with them more than we knew. I cautiously agreed with your opinion and prepared to leave when you stopped me with a hand on my shoulder. I turned to face you again and saw that you were smiling. Also, an unexpected twist. You mentioned that there was one other thing I needed to deal with first when I got back to Earth before working with Clara and revealing her accomplice. Since the anchor had been removed from Earth, the veil removed so that they could see that sky for what it was, and others could see them, it was time for the first planned visitors in a long time. You had reached out to a few friends with the help of Walter and arranged the visit since I was busy with Clara. It was set up to be a simple affair to test the waters and see how humans might respond to the idea that they have some neighbors they like to pretend they don't know about. The visit would be remote, just ships flying through the sky, but this time the ships would be flying low and slow, enough that no one could pretend they weren't there, or so we thought at least. I understood then why you were smiling. The introduction phase of a world, where they start to wake up and see the sky for being as big as it actually is, is always one of my favorite parts of the job. It can be scary, yes, but it is also very exciting. After all, most worlds rise to the occasion and begin to move forward in leaps and bounds, begin to heal and travel and learn. I was going to get to be stationed on Earth as it approached this milestone. I smiled back at you and agreed to follow up with how things went. You told me to get going, to pick up Clara and Opal from my cabin, and to get back home before everyone else got there. I agreed. I figured I should at least stop back home for a few minutes to set up the store for Opal to work alone for a little while before things really got busy. I went straight home, first picking up Clara and Opal and then making our way back to Earth the way we came. I left Clara at my house, telling her she was welcome to stay there or wait at her home for everyone else to arrive. I trusted her to be there when I got back. What you didn't mention during any of our meetings, Astra, is the level of remorse she feels and how badly she wants to fix things. I don't think I could have forced her to stay away if that was what we wanted. Opal was a different story. I tried to send her home, tried to send her to work, tried to send her anywhere in town, telling her I had work to do and that I would check in later. She wasn't having any of it. She had millions of questions for me and made it no secret that she expected every single one of them to be answered, and she wasn't moving until there were. So I left her with Clara. At the very least, Clara could answer some of Opal's questions, and at the most, she could keep her from following me to the ships. As I walked out the door, I told Opal to turn on the news. That, I thought, would probably keep her busy. I headed directly into the woods behind my house, again making my way into the densest part of the forest away from prying eyes. My ride was planning to pick me up there before we traveled to our destination. Unlike with my journey to our home world, I traveled away from the barrier instead of towards it, making my way through the cold, through the pine trees, and towards a pond that was surrounded by cedar trees trees that had begun cropping up in the forest over the past few centuries. I could see patches of sky above me through the thick branches of the trees as I walked. The sky was clear and star-covered that night, a perfect night, really, for the plan we had put together. I came to the pond relatively quickly, a small body of water that was isolated from the world, surrounded by tall cedar trees that pressed in upon it and hid its blue-gray surface from those who didn't know it was there. A sliver of the moon sat in the sky and caused ripples of silver light to bounce off of the surface of the pond, and on that particular night, off the surface of the small, triangular ship that sat hovering above the water. It was silent, as I anticipated, but it was odd to hear the sounds of the woods and not the sound of the ship. 
Earth is such a loud planet that my senses had forgotten how other technology is not the same. This particular ship was a small one, designed to take me to a larger ship that would be used for the mission that night. About ten feet in diameter, and made of a black, shimmering metal that rippled like the water beneath it. Almost invisible, especially if you didn't know that you were looking for it. As I walked towards the ship, a small hatch opened, and a warm, amber-colored light spilled out onto the water and the shore. A tall being stood in the doorway, wearing a long sweater that hung beneath his hands. Walter had come to pick me up. He waved for me to jump in, and I did, using his arm to pull myself from the shore and up into the ship. He closed the hatch, and we lifted up and above the surrounding landscape, the trees rushing below us and the stars growing in size as we got closer to the sky. It didn't take long for us to lift into the sky and dock with the ship that awaited us. Also a ship of triangular shape and a liquid black metal, but much, much larger. One that would not be missed if someone was looking towards the sky. Walter and I disembarked from our mini-ship and walked down the long, amber and blue metal hallways of the larger ship. Much like the middle of a nautilus shell, the hallways spiraled out and around the ship's interior as they guided us towards the command center where we would observe our flight. I ran my fingers over the blue and amber metal of the hallway as I walked. They were warm to the touch and soft as fine woven fabric. The halls were mostly empty. A few beings waved to us as we made our way through the ship, but no one stopped us. Everyone was busy getting ready to document, record, and maneuver the ship along its journey. Walter and I made it to the center of the ship where our hosts were waiting for us. The captain and owner of the ship, a being from a world that exists around the star Earth called Sirius B, rose from their chair to greet us. They are tall beings that I've always thought moved like the ballet dancers of Earth, dancing to a slow classical song. They are gentle and graceful in the way they move. They are about 12 feet tall in Earth measurements with elongated, narrow faces. So they towered over my Earth form, but smiled as they shook my hand. They looked at me with their large, almond-shaped and aqua-colored eyes and talked about how excited they were to begin Earth's journey into the universe again and talked about how they felt sad when we had to pause everything so many years ago. They were happy to volunteer to help, especially since they love helping other worlds learn and explore. These beings, and this captain in particular, radiate love and warmth. They genuinely love to help and be part of the universal community, and it shows in how they talk to you and work with you. Walter was in the other corner of the room, talking to some of the other guests who would be attending the event a few members of the Palladian Council who would assist with communications in the future. We all settled in after greeting each other, and the captain and I decided that it was time to begin. We had decided that it would be best to fly over an area that was more desert than forest, and that still had a large enough population that the number of sightings were likely to be many. The hope was that humans would see the ship, document it, and ask the question of themselves, who else is out there and are we ready to meet them? We decided on Arizona close enough to my home that I could travel there in a few hours if needed, but far enough away that I would not be linked to any activity in the future if anyone did discover all my secrets. None of us sat down. We stood around the view screens to watch the world below us on one screen and to watch the view of our ship broadcast from one of our companions on the other. The captain ordered the interior lights of the ship to be dimmed in case they would be visible, and we all stood in the pale amber and blue lights of the control screens as we waited to begin. We waited till dark had fallen and lowered the ship below the clouds, below where human planes would fly, and turned on the amber-colored orb-shaped lights that outlined the triangular ship from Sirius B. 
The lights shone in the darkness like beacons, and we meditated on the idea of peaceful contact as we began our slow journey across the sky. The captain had several of his team watching Earth broadcasts to see if anything popped up as we flew, just in case. And he had other ships in hiding, monitoring the sky for other concerns in case they arose. But everything went smoothly. We could always just fly away if needed, but we didn't really want to interrupt our plan if it could be avoided. Our plan had been to travel a couple hundred miles and to spend about an hour and a half Earth time flying over the skies. From the human point of view, they would see the triangle of amber-colored orbs floating across the sky above their heads, and they would have more than enough time to take a photo if they thought to. Our plan worked as expected. I had held my breath for the first few minutes, waiting for something to go wrong. Humans do not always react to the unknown well, but I slowly relaxed as we moved forward. We flew soundlessly over the sky, letting the ship be seen. We knew we were being spotted because we could see humans stepping out to see us, taking photos, recording us. The only question that remained for us was who would believe in what they saw. We were monitoring the news broadcasts, but the news seemed to be slow to jump on board with the sighting. I talked to the captain about how I anticipated that the real news would begin the following day on Earth, after there was time to share what was seen. We spent the remainder of the trip talking about next steps and other planned sightings we wanted to schedule. From our perspective, everything was calm, but I knew Earth was about to wake up if the humans let it. I was excited. Everyone was. After we finished our journey, we turned off the amber orbs and allowed the ship to disappear. The captain brought me back towards home, and I told him that I would send him some local newspapers if he liked to add to his collection. Ones that talked about March 13th, 1997, Earth Time, the day the Phoenix Lights appeared. He agreed happily, and we set a meeting to take place later that month to have coffee and discuss the news. When I arrived home, Opal and Clara hadn't watched the news as it turned out but they did the following day. I bet you can imagine how many more questions Opal had that night. My next letter, Astra, will be about when everyone arrived at my house. I know you are probably eager to share additional stories about Clara and her accomplice, but I think it might also be beneficial to allow Walter to share some memories about other visitations. They can help to build some understanding, I think, to open some new ideas. Talk soon. Love, Bert. I always find it interesting to hear about visitations from different perspectives, especially when they are a few years in the past and we can see how they were perceived or studied. I agree with Bert that Walter should probably share some more stories. He has some very interesting histories he could share about certain times and places where beings visited, invited, or otherwise. I also think it is important for us to discuss who Clara's accomplice is and what damage they may have caused. I am not sure which story I will share next. Join us next week for another episode of the Star Jelly Files. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Star Jelly Files podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that you are having a great day. The Star Jelly Files is written, produced, voice acted, and created by me, Elizabeth Hamblett. If you would like to support the podcast and gain access to bonus content, check out my Patreon at www.patreon.com slash starjellyfiles. The link is also in the description.